0: For our confessional reading this afternoon, we're going to read from Lord's Day 31. You can find that either on page 886 in the back of your hymnals, or if you have a forms and prayers book, it's on page 235. So be, I'll be reading questions and answers 83 and 84 from Lord's Day 31. <clears throat> Question answer 83. What are the keys of the kingdom? The preaching of the holy gospel and Christian discipline toward repentance. Both of them open the kingdom of heaven to believers and close it to unbelievers. And then question answer 84. How does preaching the holy gospel open and close the kingdom of heaven? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened by proclaiming and publicly declaring to all believers, each and every one, that as often as they accept the gospel promise in true faith, God, because of Christ's merit, truly forgives all their sins. The kingdom of heaven is closed, however, by proclaiming and publicly declaring to unbelievers and hypocrites that as long as they do not repent, The wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them. God's judgment, both in this life and in the life to come, is based on this gospel testimony. And then we'll turn to the book of Matthew for a scripture reading. There is a misprint in the bulletin that is my fault. It should be Matthew 16, not Matthew 19. And that would be page 977 in your pew Bibles, if you're using one of those. It's Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. The Pharisees and Sadducees have demanded a sign of Jesus, but Jesus dismisses them and warns his disciple about the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then starting in verse 13, he is talking with his disciples. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Thus far the reading of God's word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever been asked, can I have the keys? Or if you're not old enough to be on the receiving end of that question yet, do you remember asking it yourself? Some of you young adults may have asked that question within the last 24 hours. Why is the possession of keys such a hot topic? I would say it's because being trusted with the keys signifies a level of independence and responsibility for many teenagers. The one who holds the keys to the car has the ability and the authority to drive that car and take themselves where they need to go. The same could be said for the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The party that holds the keys has the ability and the authority to use them. But unlike parents who hand over literal keys to their teenagers, Christ did not give his church any keys that they could hold in their hands. What did he give to this church? He gave them the powerful gospel message. We'll work through our texts to see that under the theme of Christ gives his gospel to the church to secure his kingdom. We will explore how the proclamation of the gospel serves to secure the church in three ways. First, preaching as a key to the kingdom. Second, preaching to open the kingdom. And third, preaching to close the kingdom. Let's jump right in and see how the kingdom of God utilizes preaching as a key. Knowing that keys signify access to something important, the first question we should ask ourselves is what kingdom these keys are meant for. Why? It's the kingdom of heaven, of course. But what is meant by the kingdom of heaven? Does that literally mean heaven itself? Do these verses give credence to all the stories and jokes about Peter standing at the pearly gates only letting the right people into heaven? No, certainly not. For the kingdom of heaven includes heaven itself, but it also includes more than just that. The kingdom of heaven is also found on earth. This is made clear in passages such as Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, where Jesus announces his earthly ministry with the words, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Since he said that at the beginning of his earthly ministry... It's clear that he intends for the kingdom of heaven to have some sort of an earthly element. So what does it mean for the kingdom of heaven to be at hand? Well, since the decline of Israel, the earth had become Satan's conquered dominion, and Jesus was announcing that his kingdom would gain a foothold in due time. How could it not when the very king of that kingdom was dwelling on the earth? This is what Jesus is talking about in the second half of verse 18 in our text. The phrase gates of hell is the Greek way of saying the Hebrew term gates of Sheol, which was a way of referring to death or the realm of the dead, Satan's dominion. So Jesus is saying that the church that he will build on Peter's foundation will not be conquered by death and Satan, but will endure forevermore. The time for his kingdom to arrive and the church to be built would be when Jesus conquered death and rose from the grave in victory. So it hasn't quite been realized yet in this passage from Matthew. The Lord's Prayer also gives us insight into what the kingdom of heaven being at hand means. In it, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was teaching his disciples and us to pray that the kingdom that has always included heaven would grow on the earth and encompass more and more of it as the church prays. The important part for us to see is that the kingdom of heaven encompasses both heaven and earth. Heaven above and the church here on earth are distinguishable, but they should not be separated from one another. After all, our citizenship is already in heaven, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. So there is one kingdom of heaven, which includes heaven itself as well as true believers from various nations, languages, and churches here on earth. So now we can turn to the keys themselves. Because Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven as having keys, it follows that not everyone is free to enter the kingdom as they please. There are some who are allowed in and some who are not. Given the previous verse where Jesus says that he will, he will build his church, it's clear that opening the door to allow people into the kingdom will be the major part of Peter's role. Contrast this with what Jesus said about the Jewish leaders in Luke 11, verse 52, where he says, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. The religious leaders of the Jews had used their key to hinder people from entering the kingdom but Peter and the disciples were being called to reverse course and open the door for their entrance. But how were they to use their keys to do this? Where the text in Matthew leaves it as the keys of the kingdom of heaven, the catechism further defines those keys as the preaching of the holy gospel and Christian discipline towards repentance. It's easy to recognize that Christian discipline is one of these keys because Christ repeats the phrase, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, when laying out the steps of discipline in Matthew 18. But we'll have to set that subject aside because it will be taken up next time in question answer 85. So that leaves us with the preaching of the Holy Gospel. What's the basis for this too being one of the keys? We don't have to look far to see how preaching is one of these keys. We read it in our Matthew 16 passage. Jesus' speech about the keys of the kingdom of heaven was prompted by words from Peter, words confessing Christ as the Son of God. Look at verse 16 again with me. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This statement is a very succinct sermon in itself. Christ is the Son of the living God. This means that Christ is to be worshiped as the sovereign Lord. And that all people on earth should obey his voice. And this is essentially the sermon that Peter repeats in Acts chapter 2. After the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the apostles. His sermon ends with... Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. And as we heard just a few weeks ago on Pentecost Sunday... The response to Peter's sermon was exactly what Christ promised it would be. He began to build his church. The key of preaching the Holy Gospel aroused responses from all who heard Peter's sermon. The door was opened for about 3,000 who by faith repented and believed. But the door remained shut for those who did not. What an awesome and frightening power that Christ has given the church. Who on earth would expect that kind of response from some words from a Galilean? Hearing the keys used in preaching should cause us to tremble. For it is not just a ho-hum repetition of the message we've heard since we were young. No, every time the gospel goes forth, as it did in Peter's sermons, it accomplishes something. God's word never returns to him void. In that light, we can now turn to see how the preaching of the Holy Gospel accomplishes its two purposes, and we'll see that the first purpose is preaching to open the kingdom. In order to see clearly how preaching opens the kingdom of heaven, we can look back at Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. After his sermon ended, the crowd was cut to the heart and they asked the disciples what they should do. They realized that they had done wrong in rejecting Christ and were wondering how they could be made right with God. Notice what Peter does not say. He doesn't tell them to go make an extra sacrifice in the temple. He doesn't tell them to go examine themselves to make sure they're truly sorry enough. And he doesn't ask them to come forward one at a time to recite a sinner's prayer. No, his response to them is simple— He said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Could it really be that simple? Repent, be baptized, and have your sins forgiven? Are there really no other hoops to jump through? Yes, dear people of God, it is that simple. Sometimes we can complicate the way to get to heaven. But the Bible and our catechism make it clear that it need not be that way. Perhaps it's good to remind ourselves of what is required to be able to be in God's presence, to join him in his kingdom of heaven. The books of Moses sometimes give the wrong impression that there were hundreds of rules to follow if you wanted to come before God's presence in the tabernacle. But all those rules can be boiled down to one. Whoever comes into God's presence must be holy, free of sin. It is as the saints cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he demands that all who are with him be holy as well. Left to ourselves, we know that our sinful state would therefore keep us out of heaven. But God didn't leave us to ourselves, did he? No, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take all our sins upon himself And die in our place. And when our sins are forgiven on account of His blood, we receive His righteousness so that we can be declared holy. So, yes, if we repent of our sins and have them forgiven, then we truly are able to come into God's holy presence. So then, what does it mean to repent? Is repentance merely a I'll try not to do that again profession? Oh, no, not at all. It's far more than that. Repentance means a turning around of the mind, a complete shift in thinking. Repentance is turning away from trusting in yourself to earn God's favor, and by faith, turning toward trusting that Christ earned God's favor for you. That's what the Catechism tells us to do, too. Accept the gospel promises in true faith, and your sins will be forgiven. Turn your eyes away from yourself and look to Christ for everything you need for your salvation. He has paid it all and he offers you his righteousness if you will but trust in him. Far more than just remorse over sin, repentance is more akin to being born again, letting go of the old flesh and being born of the spirit. And that reminds us of John chapter 3 where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. In verse 3 of that chapter, Jesus begins his response by saying the famous words, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, we have come full circle. The keys which grant access to the kingdom of God are the promise of forgiveness of sins which come through being born again. Dear congregation, the way these keys open up the kingdom may sound simple, but it is powerful the forgiveness of sins through Christ's finished work on the cross breaks the shackles of the kingdom of death and darkness and delivers believers into the kingdom of God and it is the privilege and duty of ministers of God's word to proclaim that great news to all who will hear it the message of the forgiveness of sins is a message that should never grow old for us for it is a truly a beautiful message There may be some here who have never embraced this promise of the forgiveness of sins. Maybe it's the first time in years that you've heard the gospel message proclaimed in a church. Maybe you've been a part of the church your whole life, but have quietly insisted that you don't need help getting into the kingdom of heaven. If that describes you, then I urge you to accept the forgiveness of sins that Christ purchased with his own blood. Repent while the day of salvation is still at hand and be welcomed into his kingdom. It doesn't matter if you feel good enough for this offer. Christ was good enough. He lived a perfect life. And you can have forgiveness of your sins when you accept him as your savior. There are many gathered here today that have already put their faith in Christ and received these promises. Praise the Lord for that. But the keys of the kingdom are still for you too. Even though you belong to Christ and already have all your sins forgiven... You still stumble and fall into sin. The toil and trouble of the week wears you down. And maybe there are days when you wonder if Christ really could have forgiven all of your sins. Take comfort, brothers and sisters, because these promises are for you too. Take your eyes off of yourself and look in faith to Christ once more. Be assured that his blood was enough for all of your shortcomings. Remember that once you are in his fold, there is nothing you can do to fall away. Trust him and know that all of your sins are truly forgiven. Whether you are accepting these promises for the first time or resting in the reminder of how good God is, hear Christ's words from Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If these words are beautiful in your ears, then know that the key of the gospel has opened the door of the kingdom for you. But alas, we must now turn to the second purpose of the preaching of the holy gospel. We see that it can also be preaching to close the kingdom. Sadly, not all who hear the promise of the gospel accept it in faith. For some, the empty promises of the devil's dominion are too much to give up. This is seen clearly in the ministry of Paul and Barnabas in Antioch and Pisidia. Acts 13, verses 38 and following record for us what happened there. I want to read this passage because it highlights these things so vividly the keys of the kingdom at work. This is Paul preaching. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days." a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Do you see the difference in reactions to this one message? The message of the gospel has been proclaimed, and some respond with rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. To these people, the door to the kingdom of heaven has been opened with the key of the preaching of the word. But many have responded to the same gospel message with jealousy reviling, and persecution. To them, the door has been shut. Only the sovereign Lord knows why these people responded so differently, but there is no doubt that not all who heard the message of the gospel were saved. It is at this point that some wonder wonder of the language of Matthew 16, verse 19, detracts from God's sovereignty, because our translation reads, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. At first glance, it could be taken that whatever is bound or loosed on earth will become bound or loosed in heaven, as if heaven is waiting to see how things pan out on earth. In the case of the keys, some would say that if someone accepts the call of the gospel on earth, then heaven will take them in. But if they reject the call of the gospel, then the heaven will save no place for them. This is obviously a wrong understanding of God's sovereignty and man's free will. So why does the Bible read this way? This is a case where translating into English loses some of the nuance of the Greek. A more literal translation would read, And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. But that syntax is clunky. So editors of English Bibles have left it in the plain future tense. The important thing to take away from this is that Matthew 16 verse 19 is affirming God's sovereignty. Stating that whatever is bound on earth will be bound because it was already bound in heaven. And the same for being loosed. Here as in Acts 13 we see God's sovereign election at work through the wills of those who hear the call to his gospel. We creatures still have the responsibility to respond in faith to the message of salvation, but we can never respond contrary to God's eternal will. Let's not make the mistake of thinking that this key that closes the kingdom is referring only to those who have never heard the gospel or who have outright rejected it. No, just like we saw in Acts 13, the key of the preaching of the Holy Gospel is referring mostly to those who are inside the church building, hearing the gospel proclaimed. There are some who sit in the church pews every week who do not heed the call to repent. Maybe they're self-righteous and figure they don't have to repent, but they may also be conscious of their rebellion while trying to save face in front of their family and peers. Perhaps there are even men in pulpits who don't heed the very words they call out to their congregations. Brothers and sisters, I pray that this doesn't describe anyone in this congregation, but we would be naive to think that we are completely immune to this deception. Ministers of the word have a duty to exercise the key that closes the kingdom of heaven as well. The prophet Ezekiel reminds us of why this is the case. It is the spiritual leaders That will have blood on their hands if they fail to warn those who are living in wickedness apart from the Lord. So let a word of warning be said. If you are listening today and have not repented of your sins and placed your trust in Christ alone, then God's wrath rests on you already today. And this wrath of God will not end when you die and are taken from this earth. God's wrath will be on you eternally in the fire of hell. But for you as well, the day of salvation is still here. It is not too late to repent and escape from God's wrath. The invitation to repent and trust in Christ for your salvation is also for you. And if you accept the gospel promise in faith, then the keys of the kingdom will unlock the door to the kingdom of heaven and the blessings of Christ will be yours. Do not delay, for only the Lord knows the number of your days. Dear Congregation of the Lord, do we as a church value the preaching of the Holy Gospel as one of the keys of the kingdom? Are we quicker to boast that our church practices the second key, church discipline, than we are to boast about the proclamation of the gospel? Are we satisfied with sermons that are mere encouraging words or filled with impressive theology? Maybe you prefer sermons that way because they keep you comfortable. Someone from decades long ago once said, The most beautiful and eloquent sermons are like the world's most beautiful women. When it comes down to it, they are seldom worth much. It was true then, and it is still true today. We must remember that what makes a sermon good is when it utilizes the keys of the kingdom properly. Every sermon must proclaim the glory of salvation and the dreadfulness of wretchedness. Without that pronouncement, the sermon is just lofty speech, a failure. Why must it be this way? Isn't that repetitive and boring? How quickly we forget that in our flesh, we are no better than the one who is at church for the first time in her life. Every person who listens to a sermon, that means all of us, myself included, are sinners who need to repent daily. Having perfect attendance of both morning and afternoon services does not lessen the need for repentance, nor does attending a Christian school, doing family worship, or being able to trace your Christian pedigree back multiple generations. There is nothing that we can possess or do that takes away from our need for the gospel. We need the keys of the kingdom to be preached because they alone possess the power to rescue sinners from Satan's prisons. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the message that he was crucified so that our sins could be forgiven, is the most powerful message that we can bring to the world. Paul says this so beautifully in the first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says there, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Because they point us to the power of God. So my last question for you is this. Where is your hope for salvation? Where do your eyes turn when you come to see your sin? If you're trusting that you can do enough to earn a place in heaven, then be warned that there is no promise of salvation for you. Repent, lest you face the wrath of God for eternity. But if you hate your sin and cling to the promise of the gospel in faith then be assured that all of your sins have truly been forgiven. Your sins were nailed to the cross with Christ, and God remembers them no more. May the keys of the kingdom be of great comfort to those of us who believe. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, you have given to us the glorious gospel of our risen Savior and Master. Grant that as we joyfully receive the good news for ourselves, so we may gratefully share it with others and ever give glory to you. Thank you for the keys of the kingdom of heaven that work salvation in our hearts. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.